Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's good, man? How you feeling? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm very excited about this week's episode. Today, we have Tim Collins and Hugo LePrince, the two co-founders uh, and guys that together run Creed Media. Creed Media, incredible company. They help record labels and brands reach youth culture and Gen Z audiences. Um, they're an incredible, in- innovative, super fast growing company. Both Tim and Hugo together were featured this year on Forbes 30 Under 30. Um, in under three years, they've built Creed from scratch into now it's over 40 employees in their Stockholm headquarters um, and have some other people across the world. I think that they truly understand how to build and access Gen Z and youth audiences and youth culture online. I think Tim, prior to founding this, both these guys, um, Tim had run an Instagram page, Goals of Dancing, which was one of the, the top Instagram pages in the world for the dance niche. Uh, he saw that there was a big opportunity to be working with talent and helping seed music uh, across talent on Musical.ly, which then became TikTok and has now become one of the not so biggest secrets of how all major record labels try and get songs to break. They try and tap into really interesting talent, try and get songs to to get going and go viral on TikTok. And um, a lot of the time they, they work with Creed in order to make that happen. I think Creed does a good job at not being dogmatic and getting caught up on one specific platform. But we do in this episode speak to general marketing principles. And then if you're really able to dial into different principles, that's timeless, whereas the channels will always change. In the past episode where we had Tim, we definitely got a lot more tactical around how you could think about approaching growth and creating virality on TikTok. Um, so if you want a kind of more t- like tactical primer on TikTok growth and TikTok marketing for musicians, definitely check out the, the past episode with Tim. Uh, but in today's episode with Tim and Hugo, we definitely dive into their approach around building a, a thriving business within the music industry, both the kind of the, their journey of personal development, their journey of uh, evolving and iterating upon the value proposition, being intentional about culture. There's tons of great lessons in here, um, whether you're a marketer, you're building a label, a music industry entrepreneur, an artist, definitely want to take notes on this one. The, the growth that these guys have been able to have, both of them are they're 20 less, both of them are either 25 or younger, and they run a company that has 40 employees that they grew within three years. Super impressive. They're not slowing down anytime fast. And I know I've been talking for a while. So Jordan, what stood out to you? It's all good, man. It's all good. This was a really, really fun episode. I think, you know, we, in addition to in addition to getting in their story, we have a good time. Hopefully you guys get some laughs out of it. But one thing that I took away from it is just how fucking hungry they were. Like they, they were just a no excuse team. The way that they planned going to L.A. as often as they did, the way that they were living to really to really put this business on its on its legs was just an amazing story to hear. You know, um, it was inspiring to me. You know, um, you hear, you know, we, we, we interview a lot of OGs. We interview a lot of people. Um, who have been in this game for a long time. And we hear these stories of, uh, you know, their triumphs, but we don't really, we don't really hear it as much 
from from people younger than us. And it was so awesome to to hear that, you know, because, uh, you know, it sounded like they had years of wisdom in this episode. So really excited for people to hear it, not only as people who want to get in that space, but just as entrepreneurs in general and the way that they the way that they networked was even was even planned. So uh, really excited for everybody to hear this one because there's just a lot to learn. There's a lot of inspiration that they give. So, uh, yeah, those are my favorite parts. For sure. And if you haven't already, big shout out to our partners over at Vidya. I think if you're a, a label a manager thinking about starting a label, um, an artist, Vidya is an end-to-end music technology platform that provides labels the infrastructure and technology to power their business. So they offer global and audio video distribution, rights management, publishing, analytics, detail revenue, accounting, marketing, and, and more. So obviously your distributor has to get your music in places. Well, fortunately, they're a premium partner of the leading digital service providers like Spotify, Apple, TikTok, Vivo, YouTube, and more. So if you're an independent label, music label, uh, in, that you want to, and you want to drive community and culture, Video provides the back office tech and infrastructure that, so that you can compete globally. For sure. And I think even if you want to, it's cool too, because they've actually built this kind of white label software. So if you want to have a, uh, your own label distribution backend and want it to be in line with your branding as a label, so that way you can take down quality control and Migos and little Yachty. <laughs> Um, we love them. You, you can do that with video. <laughs> <laughs> so, we love them. We just want y'all to uh, so, be competitive, and video is yeah, a way exactly. to do it. <laughs> so, no, yeah. So, if, if you really bought your business and you're trying to grow, definitely make sure you hit up video.com slash MBP. There you have an application page exclusively for music business podcast listeners. Um, if you're if you get accepted, they're going to be able to support you in a lot of different ways to help you grow your business. So, that's vydia.com slash MBP. Um, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Tim, Hugo, what's happening, gentlemen? How are you feeling? Yo, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> it's fun to be back. That's right, that's right. Yeah. We're excited to have you guys. Um, so for starters, I know, love what you guys are doing. Uh, it's been fun getting to collaborate here and there. Can you just start with kind of the inception story of Creed? Um, how did you two meet? How did Creed come together? I think today we're excited about this episode. It'll be fun. We'll dive into marketing tactics and whatnot, but also very curious on kind of the, the entrepreneurial and leadership and management side of your journey. So we'd love to start at the, the very beginning. Absolutely. Hugo, you can. You yeah, can I can do that. Sharing your yeah, side yeah. of the story. <laughs> it's, it's, a nut, it's a fun two-sided story. So it all, it all started, I think, four or five years ago when I founded a company called Starflow. That was a tech company. And um, on that tech company, I needed to get users on board to the platform. So I sort of Googled around. I tried to find ways to do so. And I stumbled upon Gary Vaynerchuk and Gary spoke about like musically, musically is the next thing. Like musically talent will be the biggest celebrities of this generation. So I Googled them. I Googled a bit more. I tried to get in touch with Gary. Um, that's how I, uh, how I met Elliot. Um, but I Googled like musically stars, Sweden. I really wanted to find these people because I found out that, okay, if I'm going to pay them to promote a service, why don't I just start a management company and I help them and they can help me get users. So I Google musically people, Sweden, and I get a big, big list of like, like websites and, and social media channels. But at the top, there is, there's a gala called big bus awards. So I click this gala 
I see it's a Swedish company that that made it, and it's the first gala in Europe to nominate musically talents as a category. And I click musically, and I get a list of the ten absolutely biggest ones in in Scandinavia. So I just contact everyone. I start calling their mom, writing to them on Facebook, and just really trying to get in touch. You But say you start calling part, their mom. Oh yeah, I called their mom. <laughs> I, I called every. I called everyone. You want, I, you want I know the key to get one. to artists? You call their moms. I call everyone. People get confused. Don't don't try to contact the artists. Call <laughs> their moms. <laughs> they get too many DMs. They will never reply. You got to call the mom. <laughs> the first mom I spoke to, she was a police. She was really offensive. She was like, she was like, who are you? Go. <laughs> but, but the the interesting and the fun part of the story is when basically this is where Tim comes in the picture because the gala that I found was actually run by Tim. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, I, I was at a management company called At Night Management at the time, which was you know Avicii and Axel Gross and all the big Swedish EDM boys. I might have mentioned this last time I was on as well. Um, but during my time there, we were stepping a lot into media as well. So even though like our history and our past was coming off the back of you know uh, Avicii's success in, in the music industry, we were stepping more into the media landscape and you know um, the creator economy space, influencers and whatnot. Um, and so Big Buzz Awards was a gala uh, that was on At Night's initiative to highlight and celebrate creative individuals uh, from from Sweden specifically and at that time it wasn't about you know who was the biggest influencers per se but rather who was the most creative and who had the most cultural impact with their content but then at the time musically you know was a bit what it was then um, and uh, from what we wanted with the nomination of musically as a category was more to highlight the uh, immense amount of engagement that was on the platform to show like this is a place where you know the kids are at this is like where the new generation is focusing a lot of attention so we had musically as a category um and during the time that this gal was starting to form was a super super quick project i think from like idea to execution it was like two months or something which was pretty insane it was an event that was going to host you know two thousand people and stuff like that so um but but my idea during the time of you know planning everything was like I started seeing the super potential in these creators. I was like, hey, this is very interesting seeing how they're currently, you know, growing their following and growing their influence in general. Um, so I was like, okay, after this gala, it would make sense to open up a separate roster within the company that's focused on digital talent. And we could, you know, start with musically just because that's so close with music since it's a you know audio and music central like centralized platform. Um, so I was like, you know, forming good relationships with all of them. Uh, we already started talking about, you know, potentially going to management after the gala because we, of course, wanted to stay objective in regards to who was nominated and who's not. Um, but so the day when I was supposed to meet everyone uh, to sign a contract or whatever, or at least discuss this management opportunity, no one replied to me and no one showed up. And I was like, okay, this is strange. <laughs> um, so I started calling the moms <laughs> as well. <laughs> and, and you know, none of them replied to me except for one. 
And she was like, yeah, I mean, we thought about this whole, you know, going with U.S. management, but I'm not really sure if you're qualified to be a good management company for my child. Um, and I'm like, okay, I mean, what are you basing it on? Like, yeah, I'm not sure if you're that experienced with this. I mean, have you done this before? I'm like, we built a Vici. <laughs> <laughs> pretty experienced. Uh, but they're like, no, we heard from this guy called Hugo Le Prince that we shouldn't trust you. I'm like, who the fuck, <laughs> first of all, is this guy Hugo Le fucking Prince? Uh, and I'm like, this must be a fake. I'm like, this sounds like, you know, someone trying to tell you that you have a relative in whatever country telling you going to give you gold. Like, I thought it was a fake person. Um, couldn't find anything about him. Uh, he was like, I Google it around, he was like 18. I'm like, how is this more experienced than we are? Um, and like, no one ended up coming to the meeting. Um, and I went down to grab a cup of coffee with a fr- with a friend to just talk about the general frustration of the situation. And when I'm sitting there, this was like below our office. I see a bunch of kids, like these kids that we were wanting to potentially sign, coming in to the cafe. And I was like, "This is weird," because they told me they were not going to meet with me. And they're all passing me, so they're not coming to me. And they're going to a table across the room where I see this guy in like a Gucci cap, a Metallica t-shirt, and like ripped jeans, handing out agreements in front of them. And everyone's like <laughs> signing it there and then. So for me, that was like, hey, this motherfucker is stealing my idea in front of me <laughs> right now. And I hate him so much. <laughs> so after that, we, uh, yeah, we hated each other for two years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's crazy yeah um so that's basically how we got to know each other but then like fast forward a a few years or like two years um we had to do a project together that ended up you know with us realizing that okay the reason for us not liking each other was basically because we had the same mindset and the same approach to marketing and strategy and business in general um so from there on we became friends after that project became successful Mm -hmm. Um, and from there on, when I left that night and Hugo left Starflow, we got a project with the Swedish actor called Joel Kinnaman, um, where we brought in Elliot as well, because uh, we want his like creative input on things. So for those that didn't hear that before, Elliot is the third uh, co-founder of Creed, together with myself and Hugo. Um, and um, it was basically the project with Joel that you know brought the idea of Creed Media being a thing, um, like you know, becoming a reality, basically, because the project was um, this actor wanted to do a statement for the 2018 election that we had in Sweden. He was sort of um, um, feeling uneasy about sort of the political winds in our country, where it was moving very, you know, towards a party that was very, like, sort of fascist and shit. Uh, And he was like, okay, we don't want them to win. So he wanted to do a statement for that. Um, And the video of that statement became one of the most viral videos in Sweden of that year. had, like, 5 million unique Swedish viewers or something like that, which is basically half our country. Um, And after that happened, uh, we sort of realized, okay, that, you know, us working under press and stress seems to create really cool synergies. So what happens if we, you know, take these this energy and sort of try to put that towards a um, joint vision or something like that. And that became Creed Media. Yeah. So nice. we basically sat down and wrote down, I think like a hundred names for, for what the yeah. company were supposed to uh, be called. And then we just searched for domains. And I think there was, there was one that was even cooler than Creed that we tried to get, but there was no domains. So 
Then we found <laughs> creedmediagroup.com. It had to be a .com domain. So it has to be creedmediagroup. Uh, and since we added group to our company, there's so many companies in Sweden popping up calling themselves group. We just did it because it was a .com domain. <laughs> so, so that was that. And then we basically took, we took $2,500 each, me and Tim, put that in a, in a corporate incorporation and booked a one-way flight to Los Angeles for a month to essentially be there to knock on doors and get meetings with the, uh, with the record labels. Because at this moment, yeah. Tim, Tim had the world's biggest dance account on Instagram with like 2 million followers. And Elliot had, of course, his dunk network. Mm-hmm. Through that, we ultimately got to know everyone who owned big, big accounts. So our hypothesis from the beginning and our idea was, what if we were to take music, we take a meme, we create a meme or whatever, we put the song behind the meme, and then we distribute it across tens and hundreds of Instagram accounts. So that was basically how, how Creed started and what we did from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we went to the US, went to LA, we lived in the shittiest Airbnb. It was like rats and four other families. It was horrible. <laughs> Jesus. Now, why is that <laughs> even on Airbnb? <laughs> it, <laughs> it was like, it yo, was we so got this cheap. room with fucking rats in it. Let's Airbnb this shit. <laughs> we, we, we got, it was we so got bad. Here. <laughs> it was so terrible. Like there was like, a, yeah, the wall is like this, this thick and the other neighbors like having parties and it just sucked. And we lived out of, you guys know what Huel is. It's like a yes. meal. Yes. Yeah. So we yeah, had fuel for four food. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we had that for four oh weeks. So we couldn't af- yeah, we couldn't afford food. So we had that for four weeks. Lost a ton of weight, which is bad for me. Good for Tim. Bro, y'all don't got <laughs> no family or nothing? Like, goddamn. Nobody, nobody could give y'all no money. Y'all here living like that. Shit, bro. Yeah. Damn. Ain't nobody, you could ask your mom for 15 minutes. You calling all these moms. Beginnings. You call your mom. You <laughs> 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 hit your mom up. Be like, yo, you I need, her own you need mom. $100, so I'm not losing. My man said he losing weight. Yeah, I know, Tim. We needed some, some discounted uh, shout campaign promos on Instagram stories. <laughs> Okay. Need food discounted. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Like, I got no friends, no family. Yeah. Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, our network in LA at that time was near to none. Um, so, oh, I mean, no. for us, it was like, okay, we were there right, trying to figure this shit out. Ended up with us not getting pretty much any meeting um, except for one on the last day. Um, where I was with a friend of mine who was like interning at uh, Capitol Records Towers building, um, like in the top of the building. So we had our like coffee with her. It was like good vibes wouldn't lead to shit. Uh, we were like, okay, at least we were there. So we could always say that, you know, we were in LA, had a record label meeting. And that was dope. Um, at least our friends in Sweden, they would think it's cool. Um, but then like we're walking out of that meeting, we're like, okay. So that, okay, this trip sucked <laughs> balls. <laughs> and uh, Hugo was like, yeah, um, but we're at the top of the building, so fuck it. And we are just basically pressed every button in the elevator and went out floor by floor, you know, knocking on windows, um, trying to convince people that we had a meeting booked. Um, and we had mm. one kind, kind woman um, 
bring us in to discuss uh, a project um, or have a meeting with us. Uh, and I think it took her like 20 seconds to figure out that we definitely didn't have a meeting booked. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, she was like, yeah, I mean, you guys came all this way and everything. So like, here's a project that I'm, I'm working that you can have a look at and send me some ideas before the end of the week and we could potentially do something. So we flew back home to Sweden. We put together like an idea of what a you know rollout for that campaign can look like, and it ended up with us you know being allowed to do that. Um, so we did the project. It went semi okay, like wasn't bad, wasn't amazing, um, but I think that least started a conversation where it's like okay, these two weird or you know yeah mainly two weird Swedish dudes because Elliot <laughs> was cool compared to us at that time. Um, um, so at that or, time. Or, he said, we're cool in the Elliot now. Yeah. I mean, at, at that time, okay, like, like okay, so at that time, yeah. Elliot was cool. Me and Hugo were not. We're not cool. <laughs> now, now we might be equally as cool as we see. So that, that's uh, yeah. always something. Um, but but so, yeah, I mean, and that started everything for us. Like, word of mouth started spreading in the U.S. And we were starting to get, like, managements hitting us up. Uh, and we're, we were connected with, you know, Visionary uh, Group and, like, Chris Zaru and Harrison Remler and everyone there. Um, and started looking at, like, how we could work together on their projects. That opened new doors. And then step by step, you know, we were getting more and more established in the U.S. I think, you know, we were flying every other week in between Sweden and New York or LA just to, you know, meet with new people um, and see if there were any opportunities for us to further expand what we were doing. Um, we found we found a winning concept, which is basically when we have a meeting, it's always, okay, who can we have drinks with? We can have you. And then maybe you have two friends that we can bring as well. So every meeting was we, we us meeting two new people. Yeah. So it became like mm -hmm. a ripple effect. The more we were in the US, the more meetings we had, the more people we got to know just from, oh, we can go grab drinks, bring some of your friends. Yeah. And that became like our, our way of building relationships in New York and LA. Yeah. And I think, you know, also just, you know, people do respect the fact that you're traveling across the world without knowing if you're even going to get a meeting. Uh, and people are open to the idea of speaking with you when you're doing that, putting yourself out there in that way. So, I mean, we were fortunate enough to meet with very kind people who, you know, wanted to give us the opportunity to do things. Um, but at the same time, we were constantly reinvesting pretty much everything we were um, earning back into yeah. being able to do those right. trips. Um, and now, you know, fast forward two years, we're almost 40 people now in the company um, and have had a great two two and a half years so far. We don't have to rely only on Huel anymore and we don't need to live in <laughs> shitty, shitty Airbnbs or call people's moms. He's like, I haven't seen a fucking rat in over two years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of rats, we had rats. Okay, just to do some, go back in time a bit here. Our, so how, how would it all start in terms of office space? So our first office rats space. rats in the office too? Yes. So our first office space was an old, was an old, how do you call it? Bicycle, bicycle storage room, something yeah. like yeah. that. It was, uh, it was yeah. a bicycle storage room. Yeah, that was our first <laughs> office. So we put two desks there and there were rats and they had issue with Tim. What's it called? Uh, plumbing. With the plumbing. Yeah. So it smelled like shit. 
for six months. <laughs> Bro, talk about humble beginnings. You guys have defined it during this episode of the podcast. <laughs> he, this is my man said we lost, we went to LA, we drank fuel, we lost, we lost weight, we had to deal with rats. First office was in the it was like it was like y'all was searching out the most shittiest office y'all could find. <laughs> it was like, bro, it's cheap, whatever. Fuck it. These rats can Yeah, that that was everything. Like, how do we save money? How do we save money so that we can hire people fast? We're like that yeah, was the yeah. number that one was- objective. We're a team of yes. 10 people, of which are seven are rats. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of those decisions you actually made um, really early on? Like you just said you wanted to hire people as soon yeah. as possible. So you tried not to spend as much money. What were some yeah. of those like key decisions that you made early on um, in order to, to grow that you like those sacrifices that you made other than that? I think the first, I think one of the first ones is, yeah. is hiring, of course. But in terms of taking decisions, up until I'd say six months ago or eight months ago when we moved into our current office, me and Tim always said that every decision that we make should be, the risk should be that if it doesn't work out, we go bankrupt. So we did that Mm -hmm. for one and a half year. Every decision that was a massive one from hiring senior people, moving to a bigger office, doing things with the team, traveling to certain places, it's always been, if we go here, like our first trip to the US, if we go here and this doesn't work out, we'll probably go bankrupt. And that was the decision all way, all uh, up until now, at least, or yeah. six, eight and months I, and ago. I, and I think it's come down to, you know, always wanting to feel like, you know, we need to invest ourselves fully in this or else it won't turn out good. Um, and I think yeah. when you feel the pressure from bankruptcy, <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty big pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, and, and I think, you know, at the beginning, you know, we, it was mainly, you know, we, we had to always, um, we only had ourselves to sort of, you know, look after. Uh, but now that we have a team of, as mentioned, like almost 40 people, now, you know, that has shifted to a different thing. Now it's like, okay, how can we expand with longevity? How can we ensure that everyone, you know, can have a job over a long period of time and build a career and be able to, you know, move from our company to other greater companies in the future, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you look at, you know, the pivotal or the biggest decisions that came into play and formed us to become what we are today, definitely in the beginning, it was, you know, our first like hiring that we did when we brought in like four people on the day uh, that we decided to hire people. That was a huge investment where we're like, okay, this is super scary, um, but hopefully this investment turns out great. Um, and it did. And then the second, I think, big thing for us there was, um, uh, yeah, moving to our first big office. That was super scary as well. You know, suddenly we had overhead that we hadn't had before. Um, and then, you know, investing in building out tech to, um, uh, you know, structure within the organization. It's just been a lot of different things that's been been big. And then also, you know, bringing in advisors into the board of our company. And in that case, you know, mm. giving away percentage in the company and ownership, you know, stuff like that can fuck it up, but it turned out really good. And uh, yeah, we can only say that every decision we made so far has been really, really the right decision, which uh, baffles me to this day. <laughs> that yeah, and correct. that... And the interesting part about that is something I want to tap into on the on the decision making side is that not basically no big decisions is made by either me or Tim uh, individually is always done together. 
So how we see ourselves yeah. and how we see how, what we really made clear in the past three months, I'd say, is that we work, we could never do this uh, individually. It would be technically impossible to do that. Um, maybe as like a small, small scale. But now what we've seen is that as of Tim, Tim is, I'd say, one of the best people I've ever known to finish stuff and perfect it, make it really, really, really great. But I'm horrible at that. I cannot, I cannot finish anything. I, I, I'm the worst at that. But I'm really fast at starting stuff. And I can start a lot of stuff. So I, I have the ADHD and Tim ha- has the perfectionist brain. So together, like, I can get, I can call Tim on a Sunday, like we go to London tomorrow morning. He's like, let's speak about this tomorrow. We speak <laughs> about it tomorrow. Tim says, I think it's better to be at the office. I'm like, yeah, I think it's better to be at the office. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm always in motion. Um, and Tim is always the people, the person that you can lean towards um, to sort of think a bit more, not only do. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that's in every decision. I, and I think one of the biggest learnings from us, at least in the way that we've created our company and been leading our company it's definitely coming back to what Hugo just talked about. That was not doing it alone. I think that has been one of the most important yeah. things. It's, you know, having co-founders and having a co-partner has been one of the most crucial aspects of how we've been able to run our business. Because just as Hugo said about like his personality traits and my personality traits, I know that if I were to run this company alone, nothing would ever happen. And if Hugo was to run alone, he'd probably end up burning it down before within two days. So it's like, yeah. you know, that Max. sort of balance between each other has been, <laughs> has been super important. Yeah, that's amazing. I agree. Uh, I love hearing about the kind of complementary skill sets. And I feel like the uh, kind of non-redundant complementary skill sets, super foundational element of any founding startup yeah. team. Um, in that vein, I'm very curious how the approach has evolved over time. And when I say approach, I also mean kind of like value proposition, core service. <clears throat> I think you mentioned the initial thesis was that we have all these relationships with these different meme and yeah. curation pages, want to distribute memes, be the, the king of all the memes. <laughs> um, since then, it, it, I mean, it, the, the approach has evolved. I mean, you're definitely tapping into Gen Z culture using innovative yeah. means of distribution, but can you just speak through the journey as to how the value proposition itself has evolved? And then also too, curious, like what actually has stayed the same? I know marketing is always this interesting realm where it's like tactics change, but principles yeah. typically do remain the same. Absolutely. I mean, I think in the beginning, you know, the Instagram stuff was mainly because that was most in reach of what we could um, perform. Um, and also like limited knowledge as well within the other aspects of what services we could actually offer. So, I mean, if we were to do, you know, musically and TikTok campaigns, just as like at the beginning of when we started, you know, those wouldn't have been good because we wouldn't have been able to do enough research to execute them well. So initially it was definitely like social media management because we felt like we understood that coming from both my background as having helped, you know, our artist roster at, at night and Hugo having built the brands of his talent. Um, and then we moved into, you know, the whole meme space, just because at that time, um, not only was it um, uh, in reach, but also quite, you know, profitable. Uh, it was a, a very underpriced uh, form of marketing at that time. And that has, of course, since then increased a lot. But it, it was a new thing, like memes were the new kids on the block, sort of, when we were in it at that time. Um, but we also understood that, 
you know, that wouldn't be scalable in the future because at the end of the day, we didn't have money to buy a bunch of accounts. So we didn't have, you know, the we didn't own the networks ourselves. So at, uh, in one way, we were always relying on them meeting our demands or our, our requirements. And it was just a lot of risk in regards to what we could control and not control. So from there on, that moved to doing stuff on YouTube, like working with YouTube influencers, Instagram influencers as well. That evolved into TikTok, doing a bunch of stuff there. And I'd say from beginning of 2020, I'd say that was when we sort of had the full spectrum of the services we wanted to offer. And since then, it's been more about perfecting the process around that. You know, how can we make sure that we have the greatest strategy when it comes to roll-up? How can we ensure that, you know, quality and communication with clients is, is as good as it can get? Uh, transparency with data, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think the um, it was mainly the first year that it's transformed a lot uh, because mm. it just came down to us not being able to either know it all uh, or not owning it all. And now, you know, we don't have to do either of those things uh, anymore. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the company and the hours spent on all platforms that we now work on collectively across the across the company were probably above, you know, 20,000 hours of having spent time on TikTok, Instagram and everything. So now, now everyone's sort of teaching each other and, you know, we have a good culture where people are sharing knowledge back and forth all the time. And that is where also, you know, progressed the, the quality of the product. And everything up until now was really like, how do we, so we were Instagram, then we were TikTok, then we, in the music industry, became a TikTok agency. And uh, in my mind, that was the death of the company. You never <laughs> want to be a company that's dependent on another platform or a platform. Right. So then we, we really tried to position the company as we're the best in the world, Gen Z. Gen Z oh. is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then when we progressed into the uh, commercial brand space, it really went from, from Gen Z to online culture. Like how do we tap into online culture? Because that's it can still be a 27-year-old, but they're really heavy into sports or they're heavily into dancing or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be a 20-year-old. So I would say now we're it's a it's a mix between best of generate generation Z, but also tapping into the online culture, the pop culture of of today. That's that's what we do now. And then we have the platforms to support that. Right. I love that. And it's exciting to see how um, <clears throat> the channels evolve. And I think that was a very kind of astute yeah. observation to not get pigeonholed into one specific platform and instead kind of um, refine and iterate upon the, the approach, the positioning. Um, so super exciting. And it's also, I mean, amazing. It's, it's clearly kind of translated to growth. So in that same vein too, like when you do think about the factors that have really enabled the, the massive scaling, I mean, like, Two, three guys to over 40 employees over the course of like less than three years. Pretty impressive yeah. for on the, the agency side. I mean, what, um, Thank you. when you think about the customer and like client acquisition tactics, I mean, from what you guys are willing to share, I mean, obviously there's referrals, networking, but like, what have you guys been very intentional about that has also helped manifest into this, this massive growth? That's interesting because we have, we have never basically done marketing for Crete. We have never done client acquisition per se. So for me and Tim, we said a core value that's been for 
been with Creed from day one is that we have customer obsession. Everything we do has to be around clients and consumers and, and our customers. So for us, it's been really natural. It's all word of mouth. So it's all, all for us is like, how do we build the best client relationships? How do we help them? How do we assist them in their everyday work? And that will then result in us getting more business from their friends or their colleagues or for them from them as well. But yeah, I think we hired our first marketing person internally one month ago to do marketing yeah. for ourselves. We've never done anything. Yeah. And I think like for us, I mean, the best thing we would ever be able to hear would be if someone told them, you know, you should work with Creed Media because they make my life so much easier and they deliver fantastic results. Like if that is how people talk about us, then that's where we have won exactly what we want to, you know, the, the feeling that we want to send out when working with us. So I think it's definitely been like our acquisition strategy uh, in that sense has just been making sure that we are an incredibly reliable source of information and performance. Uh, that's yeah. basically as simple as that. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And I even think for our listeners, I mean, two things come to mind when I hear that one is like, it is interesting. I don't know if you ever, uh, Tony Shea, RIP founder of Zappos, um, in his book, something about the like ha happiness, but it was all around how Zappos really innovated on the actual customer experience. And he also made a similar decision that early on, he wanted to, instead of uh, kind of reallocate what would be traditionally put towards an advertising and marketing budget towards really innovating and creating this world-class customer experience yeah. to, to fuel this kind of word of mouth growth. And I think similarly, um, and kind of a mass marketing like B2C or like artists to fans like at that scale. It's also a similar dynamic of really trying to nurture your super fans <clears throat> and create mm. this this yeah. true deep fandom amongst those people that that I mean, despite all the, the digital campaigns, it's like word of mouth and ambassadors always reign supreme. Mm. Um, I, agree. So I think being able to like super serve those people and turn those people that are currently in your world into into actual ambassadors. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. And I think the same goes, you know, to every aspect of relationships in general. Like if you're yeah. an, a songwriter that wants to make it as a songwriter, like pitching songs, or whatever, it's all about the relationship you're able to form both with the artists in the room when you're there, uh, like writing a song or with other songwriters that bring you in that could potentially, you know, move you forward. Like as long yeah. as people are saying good things about you. And that, as long as you're behaving as a fucking sensible and good person, shit mm -hmm. will work itself out because people want good people to succeed. <laughs> That's like right. what it comes yeah. down to. And, like if and from the if beginning. You intentions, yeah. That, if you have good intentions, people want to help out. <laughs> Here we go. Fact. But the thing is, what we did from the beginning is that since we didn't have any money to spend on marketing, our only marketing was that people had to remember us. So in every presentation up until a year ago, we had skulls, graffiti and, and skulls. So it was all, it was a death mode. So people will always say like, I had a meeting with you. Oh, it's the guys that have skulls in their presentations. <laughs> there was even one, one girl at, at a record label in, in New York that said, I only took this meeting because I liked your presentation. So that was sort of a big focus for us. Like, how do we create stuff and build a brand? So I, I really enjoy, I really like the e-commerce space, like building D2C brands. But for me, it's like, how can I take that into, into Creed? And how do we build Creed as a, as a brand that people want to be a part of? Everything from employees to clients. That's why we have 
we have really dope merchandise. We have, we made chains. We made like chains for everyone with the logo on, which is dope. So how do we build Creed as a direct-to-consumer brand? Um, but since we don't sell any products, it's all about brand. And that's how I think people can remember us as a, as a company bigger than just our services. Yeah. Because there's so many people delivering the same services. So it's all about yeah. relationships, quality and work and brand, basically. Yeah. I love it. That's amazing. Random question that just came to mind. And I mean, I think like you guys are like, <clears throat> I mean, you guys are young entrepreneurs, which is great. I think like you got Forbes 30 under 30, huge congrats. <laughs> I think Thank what, you. like 22 and 25, just to like set the stage for our guests, give yeah. it not like publicized. <laughs> I'm curious from a personal development perspective. And it, <clears throat> I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurship is very much personal development, how you're able to grow yourself and, and manage yourself l- leads itself directly to how you're able to manage others, manage, grow a company. <clears throat> when it comes to your own personal, I mean, I think with any sort of like career success and growth i mean i think people like humble people at least i mean do equate part of it is like good timing right time right place but i also think on the flip side like the people that are in the right place at the right time are in a lot of places a lot of times creating these opportunities for themselves outside of that like or even a part of that like what do you think you guys have done intentionally in living your own life that has enabled you to, to really acquire these different skills as it pertains to understanding the marketing landscape, entrepreneurship, networking. I mean, is it mentors? Like what, what have you guys really leaned into with regards to your own personal development that you think has enabled this massive growth as entrepreneurs and with Creed? It's a great question, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. I think question. for sure. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to joint trait that both me and Hugo has. And that I think most successful entrepreneurs uh, share as well. And many people uh, that want to start a entrepreneurial journey as well. It's just this, you know, active sense of curiosity in everything that you do you know you want to learn from every aspect and you're actually interested in people um i think from for us like networking has never been a situation where we're like hey we need to meet that person because that person can open that door but it's more been like i want to meet that person because i need to understand how that person thinks and how I can, you know, learn from that in many aspects. Like every meeting we ever take, especially nowadays, comes down to like, what value can I provide and what value can I get from this interaction? And the same goes to the type of services that we have created. It comes down from a curiosity of wanting to solve problems in many senses. Like marketing essentially is just problem solving. How can you ensure that someone likes something and where it benefits them from actually using it um and yeah that's that's at least part of it Um, it's about always always learning new stuff and but something else is that i'd say from for me i think tim shirts as well like really obsessed with being the best in the world at something Mm. that like it tickles it tickles when when i say that because if you are the best one some at something in the world it's it's crazy so for us, it's like, how do we become the best ones? And on the road there, how do we learn as much things as possible? Because we, we always speak, speak about this, like, let's say Creed is a billion dollar company and we never have to work again. What will we do? And the question comes down to, we would always learn new things and we would probably do the same thing. Yeah. We never do it for money. We, no, we don't do it for anything like that. It's all about meeting new people 
getting like, like we met here like it's crazy it's thanks to creed which is amazing so yeah. meet new people and learn new things and be obsessed with with and, being the best and i think on the journey and like the development or evolution of the company uh, you know there's been different things that we've had to learn on the personal level of course uh, like i think one of the scariest and like weirdest things for us was you know suddenly having to have responsibility over employees and you know leading people and not just you know having to look after yourself um you know suddenly you had to teach yourself the importance of um influence that you have from a leadership level like everything that me and hugo does ripples down to the entire organization everything from if we were to you know announce a random thing or a product that we didn't talk about with the other people in the company to if, like if we were to go around like splurge money all over the place you know people would get a sense that we were either you know egoistic and taking everything for ourselves or that we just had no sense of financial you know responsibility and like that would create an uncertainty in the company so, like everything we do you know we know gets consequences or you know pros from it depending on how we lead um so i think that's also been been part of it and understanding yeah. in that that you know within the organization those that we bring into the organization it's so important that right now we always focus on culture like the person that we add to the team will they benefit the culture or will they decrease or like you know hurt the culture and that's pretty much the the only decision we make nowadays when we're bringing in new talent it's like okay the competence is great but will this actually strengthen the relationship between everyone within the company or will it make mm -hmm. it worse mm -hmm. um, yeah awesome awesome so i want to kind of pivot a little bit more to uh, direct marketing tactics we actually mm -hmm. had somebody in our in our uh, discord channel for our patreon that was running their first campaign um and he said that he was he had a virtual assistant go and find um artists with at least or, or TikTok streamers with at least a hundred thousand uh followers with an engagement of at least 20 percent and then was kind of mm -hmm. like okay now what so in terms of um the the three to four most important things to keep in mind mm -hmm. when driving virality uh, on TikTok, i guess what are those things yeah I mean, I think the first thing is to understand that there's no one size fits all approach and that you never want to be in a situation where you're only looking at the awareness that you create, but it's rather what type of awareness you create. So something that I always say is like when you're building creative narratives or a context for the influencers to post in, um, make sure that there's layers for people to build upon. So mm -hmm. what I mean with that, don't just go out and let everyone do, you know, their own thing, but maybe give them some direction where everyone can sort of streamline around one narrative, but do their own twist on it. Uh, and that basically comes down to, if you look at every trend that's ever happened on TikTok and that's developed over time, um, you know, it comes down to people being able to constantly add a new narrative upon the past narrative. Um, so for example, um, if we look at a super broad narrative, uh, say, you know, Mad at Disney, that song that became a huge TikTok success, like what I think was good with that song and the narrative around is like everyone can relate in some way to, you know, the false idea of what, you know, life as an adult would be if you looked upon how, you know, Disney set us up to uh, think, 
you know, what adult life and love would be. But then you grow up and you understand that it's super shit and super difficult when it comes to maintaining or just handling relationships in general. Like everyone can add their own you know, point of view into that. But then if you box it in and you have a song uh, called, let's say, um, uh, what, what the fuck can it be? The, the, the dark rug. And you feel like every content piece that you're, you know, launching has to in- include a dark rug. And suddenly you'll be boxed in by that thing. So people that don't have mm-hmm. a dark rug can't get involved with it. And then right. you know, can't add anything on top of it. So just making sure that when you're launching something and you're trying to create a good strategy, A, make sure that, you know, the narrative in itself has scalability. Uh, second of all, that the creators that you involve um, actually can authentically post this narrative where it fits with their other content on their page. So, you know, it, it needs to um, fade into everything else that they do. It must look natural, I guess. Um, and uh, also allowing yourself to be ready to pivot, I think is important. And seeing that, you know, if something starts taking off in a direction that you didn't suppose it would, you know, go with that and allow that to naturally happen. Don't be too boxed in with your own ideas of what your trend should look like, but actually allow the platform itself to dictate where it should lead you. I think that's some important things to think about. Bars, tight. So, um, I mean, you guys obviously have a large sample size in terms of what success looks like and what it doesn't look like in terms of um, um, engagement from from songs and uh, what how to quantify that. But for somebody just getting into uh, TikTok influencer marketing, what what are some of the data points that they want to look out for? How do they really quantify? How do you how do you how did you measure success for for some of those first campaigns where you didn't really have much of a. a, a, a um, a catalog of, of campaigns behind you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that at the end of the day, what you want to impact the most comes down to user-generated content um, at all times. Like, you just want to make sure that that's what you're focusing on. If you're able to get that to a level where people are engaging and are creating, you have succeeded in the campaign that you've done. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's, sometimes it can be amazing to just create awareness as well. Like, don't get me wrong, in certain instances, that's all you want. But I would say, like, if you're an independent artist that's, you know, trying to do this by yourself and don't have a major label, you know, backing you with funding, um, it's definitely about, like, making sure that you get volume and consistency in the postings of creators on the platform that, you know, build the marketing for you in that sense. That can be everything from your own relationship. Yeah, go ahead. But also, if you're an up-and-coming artist, I'd say one of the most undervalued things you can do right now is to build your own profile on TikTok and just create content yourself. That that's where I see that you can get the most bang Absolutely. for your buck. It's it's hundred percent free. You can dictate your own narrative and you can jump on trends and use your own songs on that trend. Yeah. Um, I, I think one at, yeah, one person I love to reference in that case, and a guest you should have on the show, uh, is Anson Zebra. Uh, who's an artist um, that became successful through TikTok, an amazing songwriter as well. But I mean, him having been able to, you know, make use of his TikTok profile to A&R, his own artist project, is one of the smartest things I've seen. And like, I I, I saw this the first time at the beginning of 2020, and it's still just as clever. You know, he uses his artist profile 
uploading, you know, unreleased songs and hooks and snippets and whatever song starts to trend, he then creates a full song around and then releases. And so far, like every record he's ever released has over 50 million streams on Spotify. So it's like, he's a super, super cool artist and creator that still, even though he created his own profile on TikTok, has maintained his artistry in the center of his content creation as well. Mm. So you don't have to go do TikTok dances to become famous on TikTok. No, definitely not. <laughs> tight, tight. Well, guys, man, uh, really want to thank you uh, for coming out virtually. Um, you know, Sam and I obviously have a little business ourselves with the podcast and figuring out how to grow. It. And, and, and this all was like really inspiring uh, for us to hear, especially as as young people in the music industry and, and, the, and the path that you guys have blazed for yourself. So there's a lot to learn from. And I'm really excited for, for people to for people to hear it. So thank you. Thank yeah, you very much. Well. Yeah, you. definitely. Thank you so much, guys. Of course, guys. All right. Talk Until soon. next time. Peace. <laughs> Till next time. Peace. Man, that was a great episode. Really enjoyed hearing what they had to say. I think that their, their, their points as it pertains to just like hunger and curiosity. That that curiosity, I think, is like the big key to growth. I think if you keep learning and that you're doing it from a place of authentic, passionate curiosity, like that, to me, even in my own life, that that passion and passionate curiosity pushes you to grow, pushes you to seek mentorship, pushes you out of your comfort zone into new territory so you can grow as a person, as an entrepreneur, and. Mm-hmm. and grow the success in your own life so really loved that and was able uh, glad we were able to have a chat around kind of the, the connection of personal development and entrepreneurship because I, I do always believe that your level of success will never be further than your level of personal development that's a big fact <laughs> dang nice Ooh, drop your mic <laughs> drop that new mic you got no i'm kidding ah. nah, but i i think curiosity is um you know, I'm not sure if people even use the word keystone next to trait, but I think it's a keystone trait. I think if you're truly curious, it keeps you humble. I think it keeps, I think, you know, you respect the situations and the rooms that you walk into. So um, that's something that I try to develop and try to cultivate with everything that I do is just to continue to stay curious uh, in my personal life and in my, in my work life. So um, like I said, a lot of, a lot of inspiration and a lot of knowledge that these two have. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that they don't have to work in an office anymore or live anywhere where there are rats and the plumbing is broken. I'm glad, I'm glad they, we heard that rags to riches. You know what I mean? They said, yeah. they literally said, get rich or die trying. So <laughs> <laughs> watch yeah, out. 50. <laughs> well, right. uh, on that note, really appreciate y'all for tuning in. Like we said in the beginning too, um, if you're a label, if you're a manager, if you're looking to level up your distribution, uh, definitely want to encourage you to check out video. They have an incredible suite of tools to help get your music on the best platforms give you analytics, detailed revenue accounting, marketing, more. Um, so if you haven't already, just go to video.com slash MBP. That's VYDIA.com slash MBP. And on that note, appreciate y'all for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Until then, we out. <laughs>